the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. How is it that we know that as Christians we will not stand before a throne and to be judged? The answer is because the Bible teaches we've been judged at the cross. When Jesus dies for our sins and then we put our faith and trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, that's when we are judged. Let me tell you what Jesus said in John 5, 24. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Today, Pastor Gary talks about our gift of salvation and the judgment that will come. We were born into sin, and as humans, we continue to live in sin. God knew our faults from the beginning. He constructed the New Testament with us in mind. He sent His Son to envelop us in His love and to take the weight of our past and future sins and put them on His own shoulders. He died with that weight. As Christians, we get to live free of that weight. Is there a weight you've been carrying that you shouldn't be? Give it to God, because He's already taken care of. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. ultimate fulfillment will be when we are with the Lord. In the meantime, while we live on earth, God has given us of his spirit so that we can have him actually dwelling in us. It's an incredible, phenomenal thing to think of. But this is that deposit guaranteeing what is to come. All right, again, guaranteeing what is to come. It's keep that eternal perspective. Keep one eye on earth and one eye on heaven. And then the other thing he says, number two is in verse seven, he says, and I just want you to remember, we live by faith, not by sight. While you're living on earth, keep your faith engaged Don't just have everything managed by what you see because your senses are unreliable. Faith is not defined by what you see. Faith defies what you see. And God is greater than the tangible. And sometimes we think that it's all limited to what we can see and hear and touch and smell. But faith transcends the senses. Faith is is complete trust in the Lord to do greater, more than we could ever hope or imagine. And so God is the God of miracles, and we live by faith and not by sight. And then thirdly, he says, we make it our goal 
to please God there in verse 9. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body, in other words, while we're here on earth, or away from it when, when we go to heaven. Whether we're here or whether we're there, the goal is going to be to please God. And then he adds this last part here about the judgment seat of Christ in verse 10. Look again at verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Judgment seat. Judgment seat. Now, I remember as a kid, growing up in the church, and somewhere along the line, I don't know where I pick this up, but the more I've spoken to people, other people have this image like I do. And so I won't be surprised if others of you thought the same thing. And here's, here's what I thought growing up. Judgment seat, I got to stand before God, and there's going to be this big jumbotron screen, and God's going to replay my life, and every sinful, wicked thing I ever did, and everybody's going to be able to watch on the jumbotron. And you take your turn going up to the judgment seat of God. And then, and then everybody stands back and watches your life and your sinful stuff you've ever done. That was what my concept of the judgment seat of God. Anybody else have that concept growing up? Yeah, there's some of you. Yeah. Judgment seat in English is one word in the original Greek language. It's the word bima. B-E-M-A. Bima. Bima in Greek simply means step. A Roman magistrate would make judgment and pronounce judgment on a high platform, a step up. So it was called a bema seat. This bema seat of judgment is not the same as Revelation 20, which talks about the great white throne judgment. Now, by the way, at no point, whether here or Revelation 20, does the Bible say there's this jumbotron that replays all the sins of your life, Okay. But to distinguish Revelation 20, which is the great white throne judgment, from this judgment, this judgment is not a judgment of salvation. Here in 2 Corinthians 5, this is a judgment of evaluation. This is a judgment for rewards. Here in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. Because he speaks here of, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body. In other words, while here on earth whether good or bad. So what we've done will be judged and our motives will be judged because he adds that part about whether good or bad. The inference is our motives, what we've done and the motives behind them. How is it that we know that as Christians, we will not stand before a throne and to be judged? The answer is because the Bible teaches we've been judged at the cross. When Jesus dies for our sins and then we put our faith and trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross... That's when we are judged. Let me tell you what Jesus said in John 5, 24. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Jesus said there in John 5, 24, when you receive him and believe in him and his finished work, you pass over from death to life. There is no condemnation. Paul would write that in the book of Romans too. There's therefore now no condemnation. Then there are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. So when we stand before God, we're not going to be judged. We've been judged if you're a Christian. If you trust Christ as your Savior, you've been judged at the cross. This judgment is a judgment of rewards. It's an evaluation of what you've done as to whether or not you will receive rewards. There are actually rewards in heaven. The Bible talks about crowns. There are different kinds of crowns the Bible talks about. Crowns of righteousness, crown of life. 
It talks about the victor's crown. There's going to be different crowns that are handed out and jewels in the crowns. This is going to be wonderful. Now, before you get too excited and think to yourself, wow, I wonder how big my crown's going to be. And you, maybe you're thinking, I, I hope I can even walk with it. It's going to be so heavy. Before you get too excited, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, I think it's chapter 4, that when we are in his presence, we're going to be so undone, it says we will cast our crowns before him. So you're going to get it. You're going to turn around and go, oh, well. You know, and you're going to toss it to us because you're going to realize this means nothing in his presence. It was good for a minute. And then it's going to be cast in front of his feet at the feet of Jesus on the throne. So there is a reward system. But the reward system is based on what you've done and your motives being tested as well. And there will come a day when we will stand before the Lord and he will reward us. and He will honor us for being faithful in this lifetime. So don't check out. Don't say to yourself, well, it's all just about heaven and I'm not going to worry at all about what's going on on earth. I'm just going to kind of hold on to my salvation and ride it across the finish line. There's more to be done. And God calls us to occupy while we watch, to live out our faith in such a way that it is contagious, that it is influential, that we want other people to know the same treasure we have in this jar of clay. So that we can still do our part to affect this world for the glory of God and for the kingdom of God. So don't check out and think, well, I got my salvation now. I'm on my way to heaven. That's all I need to do. You still need to be engaged in your world. Be a part of life in a wonderful, vibrant way that can help other people to know the very thing that you know. The goodness and the love of God expressed through a cross on which Jesus hung. Somebody once said that it is possible to have a saved soul. And a wasted life. Let it not be said of us. Don't just say, well, my soul's saved. That's all that really counts. No, it's possible to have a saved soul and a wasted life. Don't waste your life. Live it out for the glory of God. We stand before him one day and he's going to judge us, whether good or bad. So may we live out our lives in such a way that honors and glorifies him while we wait for our blessed reward. Verse 11. He says, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. Okay, it's part of being evangelistic. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in in what is in the heart. Now, that sounds a little confusing, but again, remember if you've been with us, Part of 2 Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthian church, is he's trying to help the church understand that his ministry is credible, it is valid, despite the fact that there are many people who are trying to discredit Paul and his ministry. Paul is going to point to them as the fruit of his ministry. He's going to say, listen, just look around your own church. Notice how lives have been changed to the glory of God. I've just been an instrument in that process. So he says, I don't want to come across like I'm commending myself all over again. Like, look at me. Aren't I great? He says, I just want you to take note that there's tangible evidence of the fruit of the ministry and what God is doing in your lives so that people can actually look at you and see something real and not just take pride in what is in the heart. What is in the heart is obviously critically important. But Paul says if people want evidence more than just what's in the heart, take a look at changed lives. Verse 13. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all 
that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Who is the he in this passage? It's Jesus. So he's speaking here about the one who died for all. Please note that in verse 15. And he died for all. Some of you are hardline Calvinists. Please take note. Jesus did not die only for the elect. He died for all. Now, all may not receive him, all may not respond to him, all may not necessarily exercise free will to accept him, but he died for all. And just a quick Greek lesson, the word all means all. All right? Died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Please note that. You and I aren't supposed to just live for ourselves. We're to live for the glory of God. We're to live out our lives in such a way that we bring honor and glory to him. Paul said in his first letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, I think it was, he said, we are not our own. We were bought at a price. And then he adds, therefore, honor God with your body. But the concept is, you and I are not our own. You know, I was a slave to sin before I came to know Christ. I was on the auction block with manacles around my ankles being auctioned. We are slaves to sin before we come to know Christ. Christ pays the highest price. The price that he paid was his blood. To purchase us so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, but we would belong to him. He's our master. He's our Lord. He's our savior. Paul says here, he says, he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. What he means is, when Christ was only regarded in the human sense, he cannot be experienced in his fullness until you come into relationship with him in the spiritual sense. So he says, you know, at one time we regarded Christ just in the earthly sense, that he was the Messiah who walked the earth. But when he dies and rises again from the dead and ascends into heaven, and now anybody can have relationship with him, We can know him in an even greater way than just when he walked the earth. But I want to back up to the first part of that verse because I want to tell you a funny story. A friend of mine, again, the first part of verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. I had a friend of mine years ago who read this verse and it changed his life. And this is something that I'm not saying that I didn't adopt it. And I'm not saying you have to adopt it, but I thought it was really interesting. He said, that verse spoke to me about how I should no longer regard people from an earthly point of view a worldly point of view. He says, I started to see everybody like they were going to heaven. I said, what do you mean by that? He says, because I just started relating to people as if they were going to heaven, not in a worldly view, but in an eternal view. So he said, like, for example, he said, I'd be pumping gas, and I'd notice a guy pumping gas next to me. I'd say, hey, heaven's going to be a great place, isn't it? Like he's talking to another brother, like, like he's just viewing them as someone who's on their way to heaven. And he says, I got all kinds of strange answers. Sometimes people are like, yeah, it's going to be great. Other times people will be like, whatever. Or, what are you talking about? Or, you know, what are you smoking? Or He said, I got a lot of different answers. But he said it was either someone was affirmed in their faith because they were already a believer, or it opened a door to conversation. Because I stopped looking at people as worldly. I started looking at everybody's spiritual, talking to them just like they were a brother or sister in Christ. He said, all my conversations, restaurants, pumping gas, grocery store, I'd just be talking, hey, heaven's going to be a wonderful place, isn't it? You're going there, right? And then people would end up saying to him, I don't think so. I don't know. And open up a wonderful opportunity for him to share the gospel. So that verse spoke to him in that particular way. So I stopped looking at people through earthly lens. 
I started looking at people as if they're on their way to heaven like I am. And it opened up wonderful doors of conversation. So I share that with you. And now you're going to go home and pump gas and like, hey, you're going to go to heaven? Verse 17 is one of the best verses in the Bible, isn't it? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Hallelujah to that. Amen. If anyone is in Christ, he or she, new creation. The Bible doesn't teach turn over a new leaf. What the Bible teaches is God changes us from the inside out. This is not behavior modification. Becoming a Christian is not just retraining yourself to learn how to modify behavior. Becoming a Christian is a transforming work of God when he comes into our hearts and our lives and he begins to change us from the inside out. That doesn't mean there's still not work to be done. There is still work to be done until the day we die because we still have to battle with our fleshly instincts. But it is to say that now the power that raised God, Jesus from the dead, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is within me, within you. And he does a transforming work from the inside. If anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All right, let's back up and unpack all of this. So the word, in case you didn't notice, reconcile, is used five times in these last few verses, 18 through 20. It is the Greek word katalasso. Katalasso is used in different ways depending on the context. For example, in a monetary sense, katalasso means to change or exchange one thing for another thing of equal value. If I give you two dimes and a nickel and you give me a quarter, that's a reconciling of a monetary value, two different things that are of equal value. It is also used in a relational sense to exchange, for example, hostility For friendship, as in a marriage, we will use this term in describing how a husband and a wife, perhaps who are separated, and then they have resolved the things that created hostility or disagreement in their marriage, and they've come back together. We say what? That they have reconciled. They have reconciled. That's how the word is used also. And then in a biblical sense, in Scripture, the word means to have a broken relationship with God restored into harmony with Him, or literally to recover. God's favor. That's what katalasso means in scripture, to recover God's favor. Where was God's favor lost? In Eden, in the Garden of Eden, when sin entered the human race. When sin entered the human race and it was passed down through the seed of man, through humanity, we all inherited then a corrupt, sinful nature. We were all born into sin. David writes about this clearly in the psalm when he says, Surely uh, I was conceived in sin in my mother's womb. So we are born into sin. We have a sin nature from the moment we are conceived. Paradise was lost, but paradise was regained on the cross. And by the finished work of Christ, we were able to have our sin nature cleansed 
And this is what he means here when he says, He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us, took on our sin, that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. This is an important part for everybody to understand about what does reconciliation, how are we brought near to God, the distance that sin creates. Sin must be punished. It must be punished. Otherwise, it would impugn the character of God. A righteous judge must do the right thing by punishing crime or a sin. Otherwise, the judge would not be righteous. If somebody stole something valuable from you, they were arrested and then they were tried in a court of law. If a judge just said, we know you stole this, you're caught red-handed with it, but I'm just going to overlook it, pretend like it never happened, you would be indignant and rightly so. Because that judge would not be exercising justice. The crime must be punished. Well, see, we all stand guilty in God's court. We all stand guilty in God's court. Name your sin, whatever it might be. We've committed different sins at different times over the course of our lifetime. We're all guilty. There's none righteous, no, not one. We stand in God's court, all guilty. If God were to overlook it, that's no big deal. Then it would impugn his character. He would not be a right and holy judge. So he must punish our sin. But in his wonderful providence and in his love for us, he determined this. I will offer my son and I will put your sin on him, your penalty intended for you on him, mine too. And all of your penalty and your punishment that was intended for you because I must judge sin, I must punish sin. I'm going to place all that on my son. And then his death on the cross will pay for that if you just simply believe that he paid the price for you. That's reconciliation. So when we put our faith and trust in Christ and believe, okay, I believe by faith this plan of God that he put in motion for my salvation, for your salvation, for the salvation of all who would believe. If we just simply believe, exercise faith, and accept God's plan for mankind to redeem us, to reconcile us with him. The relationship was broken in the Garden of Eden, but it was restored on the cross because at the cross is where justice and love met. And because of what Christ did for us, that's why he could say from the cross, it is finished. It's paid in full. That's reconciliation. God has reconciled us to himself through the cross. Now, in all of this, then, he adds, last two things, he adds in this passage, though, and we have this message of reconciliation, he says in verse 19, and he says, and we're Christ's ambassadors in verse 20. So he says, now, if you get all this, and you realize you've been reconciled to God through what Christ did on the cross, you've been brought back into relationship with him, what was broken was restored, you now are back into his favor because of what Jesus did. Tell other people. You have this message or this ministry of reconciliation. So let other people know and serve as we are called to be Christ's ambassador. We all know what an ambassador is. An ambassador is a representative. You know, let's use it in the context of the United States government. An ambassador is a representative of, of the president and the United States government. And an ambassador has to properly, that's the key word, properly and accurately represent the president and the United States. So if we are called ambassadors in Scripture, what it means is we are to live our lives in such a way that we properly represent our Savior, that we properly reflect who he is, and that other people can see a glimpse of Jesus in us because we serve him as his ambassador to a lost and dying world. When you go to work tomorrow, you are Christ's ambassador on the job. 
When you are mowing your lawn, you are Christ's ambassador to your neighbor. When you're shopping in the grocery store, you are Christ's ambassador to everybody else shopping with you. Wherever you go, wherever I go, we are to put Christ on display and to represent him well. Amen. That's all we have time for today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary will have more to share from 2 Corinthians next time. But right now, we'd like to share how you can continue studying God's Word on your own. Did you know that you too can learn from the Bible? You don't need a degree or years of study to understand God's Word. Just open up the Scripture and ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and heart to what He knows you need to hear. If you'd like some additional resources to enhance your personal time studying the Word, we've compiled some for you on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll find these under the Teachings tab. Pastor Gary offers a deeper look into several of his studies that we hope will help you gain a better understanding of the Word. You can also subscribe to our podcast or take Cornerstone Connection anywhere with the mobile app to listen to commentary on the Word. Our website again is cornerstoneconnection.cc. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to meet you. Come join us at Cornerstone Chapel to spend time in the Word and worshiping our Savior for all He's doing in the world. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you'll tune in again for our next edition of Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, you're not alone. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Hope is an open ocean, jump in and you'll find the cornerstones. Your connection run towards your new. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.